0: Okay, I've never used a microphone like this one, so I hope I don't mess things up. You can hear me well, right? Okay. And it's in these times where I kind of feel like just channeling Pastor Tom somehow. I would love to be able to just walk around the stage without notes or anything, but I have learned to just accept that that's not really me, right? So I have notes, and I'll be reading from my notes most of the time. Um, I will also set a timer because I have 30 minutes, and I want to make sure I <laughs> I stay under those 30 minutes. So I want to pray very, very briefly right now. I'll, at the end, I'll pray again. Okay. So Jesus. I thank you for the sweetness of your presence. And I thank you for this morning and for what you have planned to do with us today. You're always, always up to something. So I pray that you would soften our hearts and you would open our ears to hear what you have for us today. And Lord, I pray that I would not try to be anybody else but who you have created me to be. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so here goes the timer. All right, so this morning I would like to talk to you about something that God has been teaching me for the last several years, okay? Four or five years. I want to talk to you about the desires and the longings in our heart. These desires, I believe, are part of the human experience. We all have them, and they have been planted in our hearts by God Himself with the purpose to lead us to Him. Right? So today, we will look at some examples in the Bible, and we will ask the Holy Spirit to bring light and reveal some of those desires hiding inside of us, and hopefully bring us to a deeper place of intimacy with him. So throughout the Bible, we find these desires, these longings, expressed in many ways. But one of, them, one of the first ways okay, that God chose uh, to present it to us, is this idea of being hungry. The idea of wanting to eat something. Oh, that's the name of my talk, The Tree of Life. Um, So this picture of being hungry and reaching for something to eat is in fact the very first picture that God chose to put in the Bible when he wanted to tell us how to live our lives with him and in this world. Okay, so let's turn to the first pages of the Bible. That's the story of creation. It's the story of Adam and Eve, right? So in Genesis 2, God tells Adam and Eve about two very special trees. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil. He tells them that they can eat of any tree, including the tree of life, except for that one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He tells them that eating from that tree will not bring life, but death. He tells them through this story that there is food out there that will lead to life, but he also warns us that there is food out there, readily available to us, right? And that will seem pleasing to our eyes. It will be a delight to look at, but that will lead to death. He's setting up boundaries for our flourishing, but he's also giving us a choice of accepting the boundary or rejecting the boundary, right? So where will humanity go? to satisfy this hunger? Will they trespass the boundary and trust their own knowledge about what's good and satisfying? Or will they trust that God's food is enough for them? Will they pass or will they fail the test? So we'll turn, let's look at Genesis 3, 6 and let's see what happens. Now I know you all know what happens, right? but we'll just read it quickly so this is Genesis 3, six. when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom she took some and ate it she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it now, I want, you, I want us to look and pay attention to the progression of what happened here. In the text, it says that first she saw, okay, that it was good. Then she desired it to become wise. Now, what was her desire? Wisdom, right? Now, is that a good desire or is it a bad desire? It's a good desire. Wisdom is a good desire to have. So she saw, she desired it, and then she took. Now, do you think God wanted her to have wisdom? Yes, right? She, uh, God really wanted us to have wisdom, wanted her to have wisdom. So what was the trespass here? the trespass or sin was going to the wrong place to get that wisdom, to satisfy the desire for wisdom. So they failed the test, right? They trespass the boundary, and they take from the wrong tree. So point one this morning, all humans, all of us, face the same test. After the first story of the Bible, in this, the first story, right, the Bible is packed with story after story of people going through the same pattern of seeing, desiring, and then taking. All to satisfy a hunger deep inside. Story after story, we can see how humans fail the test of choosing to trust God and His provision. And that the provision will come at the right time. Now, we could spend hours looking at all the stories in the Bible, but for time's sake, I will briefly look at three. Okay? Example number one, Abraham and Sarah. You can find this in Genesis 16. We're not going to read the whole passage yet, right? So Abraham and Sarah are given a promise by God, right? A son, Uh, But they don't truly trust his provision and his timing, do they? They really desire a son, and they get impatient. They get very impatient. So the text says that Sarah sees Hagar. She desires her for the purpose that she wants. She takes her, and she gives her to her husband. What else in the Bible has this happened? Taken, given to husband. Alright. The Bible is really cool. Okay. Uh, what both Sarah and Abraham do reveals something that's deep in their hearts. A lack of trust in the provision coming from the hand of God. They don't trust that what they need will be provided by God and at the right timing. What was their desire? A son. Good or bad desire? Good. But they went to the wrong place to get it. Pass or fail? The test. They fail. Number two, very quickly. David and Bathsheba. Okay, you can find this in Second Samuel 11, I believe. I didn't write it down. Uh, so David sees Bathsheba bathing, right? He desires her, and then he takes her. What was his desire? Sexual desire. And we can go deeper. There's probably more. Like maybe he, he desired love to be loved or something, you know. But sexual desire. Now, is that a good or a bad desire? It's a good desire. God has placed in us sexual desire. However, he has also set a boundary around it. And David went to the wrong place to get it. Pass or fail the test. He fails, right? Example number three. Israel hungers in the wilderness. You can find this in Exodus 16, Leviticus um, 11, and there are many other places because Israel had many opportunities to trust God, and then they didn't, right? Um, So God brings them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He drowns the enemies in the sea. He gives them water, right? Right? So now, they should, they should trust God, right, after everything they've gone through. Well, no, they don't. They are hungry, they're very hungry, and they grumble and grumble and then grumble some more. They get impatient, and they don't wait in trust for God's provision. In fact, they are the ones who try to test God. Now, what was their desire? Food... Safety, right? Safety. Good or bad desire? Good. We're humans. We're made to function with food and we're made to flourish best when we are in safety, right? So the Lord gives them manna and then they're told not that they can't keep the manna for the next day, right? They are to trust that God will provide for them daily, Now God did this for 40 years, faithfully providing for them. He gave them what they needed to live, yet they never stopped grumbling. They were always looking back to Egypt. They were always looking back to the other tree because they thought in their wisdom that that was better. Point two. Jesus, the only human that passed the test. Now, in Matthew 4, right after Jesus goes through the waters, just like Israel had just gone through the waters, right? In Matthew 4, Jesus is tested, just like all the other humans have been. And now the story here is long, so we'll just focus on the very first part. It says in Matthew 4, 1 through 4, and we'll read it together. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, Spirit here is with capital letter. You can't see here because it's all in capital letters. But, so it's God, right? God's Spirit. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want to stop here because if you go into your Bible, there is always going to be this little letter on top of tempted. And then if you go to the bottom, it's going to say tested. Because those two words work fine there from the translation, okay? So i really like to use tested because I think it really is better for the context. To be tested by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tester came to him and said, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I want us to look at this text a little bit more closely. Who led Jesus uh, to the wilderness? The Spirit, right? It was God. God's Spirit led him to the wilderness. And for what purpose? To be tested. Okay? Uh, Let me see. And look at that. Forty, right? What else? I mean, what can we remember that we have read in the Bible already? Another story that looks just like this one. Israel, right? So it's like Jesus was doing now what Israel had to do before, right? Uh, and the tester says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God. Now, what is he pointing out here? He's pointing that identity, right? He's saying something that is true. That, uh, he is indeed the Son of God, but he's putting a little seed, right, of doubt in him. He's actually pushing Jesus to be the tester of God and his faithfulness. But Jesus doesn't fall for it. And he responds with a verse from the Old Testament. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, where is that verse from? What is he quoting? So let's go to Deuteronomy, because he's quoting something from Deuteronomy that is very important, okay? He's quoting from Deuteronomy 8. Uh, We'll come back to Jesus in a little bit. Now here, Israel is about to go into the promised land, right? After the 40 years of being fed and all of that. And uh, God is talking to them through Moses. And here are the two verses. He says this to them. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Jesus was led into the wilderness to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay? So it says that God led them, he caused them to hunger, and then he fed them, right? Why? What was the reason for it? He did it to humble them and to teach them that he was enough. It also says that he wanted to test what was in their heart. Did Israel pass the test? No, right? They failed. They continued to grumble, even after they went into the promised land. They continued to look at other things. Like wanting a king, for example. So let's go back to Jesus. He was facing the same test. What was Jesus' desire? Food. Was he really hungry? Yeah, it was 40 days without food, right? But really, you could say the desire underneath that desire for food was more than that, right? It was probably to prove probably not just to the tester, but to himself, that he truly was anointed, that he truly was the Son of God, that he had power, and that he had really heard from God before. What was the test? Will he trust his own power and take from his own resources, or will he trust the Father and wait for him to give him the food at the right time. Now, does Jesus pass, or does he fail the test? He passes the test, right? He sees, he desires, but he doesn't take. He waits without grumbling, without anger, and he trusts his Father. Point three, we all hunger for something. As humans, we have been created with desires and needs. If we think deeply, many of our actions are a product of trying to satisfy those desires. And just like Adam and Eve in the garden, Israel in the wilderness, and Jesus... We all face the test of choosing where we will go to satisfy those desires. Seeing, in many ways, is trespassing a God-given boundary in order to satisfy a desire in us that should only be satisfied in God himself and in what he provides. Following Jesus means trusting Him at all times to feed us, submitting to His boundaries, trusting that He will provide what we need when we need it. It means surrendering our ability to take from what we think is best and to wait for His food instead. He has promised us to feed us. In Psalm 23, David says that God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And then in Matthew 6, right after Jesus is tested, he teaches us to pray like this. He says, Our Father, give us today our daily bread. And do not lead us into the test. But if you do, I add that part, deliver us from the evil one. Give us the strength to carry on. We're just very bad at waiting. I'm very bad at waiting. Okay, point four eating from the right tree. Now, eating from the right tree is not easy. (laughs) And as Christians, I believe it is a test we have to face sometimes daily. Now, remember, tests are designed to reveal something that is true in the Christian life. This test uh, is designed to see, right, if we really trust God's provision. And timing. Do we trust his wisdom and do we trust his goodness? Now, I believe trust is built in the intimacy of our walk with him. It takes time and it takes discipline. It is developed by learning to walk a day at a time in the intimacy of hearing his voice and in the discipline of letting go of our own ability to grab what we think will satisfy us. And here's the thing. Satisfaction from God doesn't always feel very satisfying. I will be honest with you. Many times it kind of feels like it's not quite enough. Many times the other tree feels way more satisfying at the moment. But that, I believe, is where true, real trust is demonstrated. Real trust is built when we choose to eat from what he has, even when it doesn't seem to fill us in that moment. Trusting that he knows better, trusting that our emotions are not what dictate reality, he does. And that what he says about what leads to life and what leads to death is indeed true. Walking in intimacy with God also means being willing to have our desires exposed by his light. And this is crucial. This is very important. What are the desires behind our actions? What are we truly trying to satisfy when we binge on Netflix? When we respond in anger to a Facebook post? When we eat and eat mindlessly? What desires are we trying to quench when we fill our calendars with stuff? Or when we say yes to everything they ask us to do at work or at church? Or when we click on the wrong website? What are we really trying to satisfy when we go drinking? Or, this is a big one for me, when we go to places in our imaginations that seem to bring us comfort, but are not really what God wants. It is in intimacy with Jesus that we can ask him to reveal to us these desires. And then, it is in that same place, where we can surrender them, and trust Him for satisfaction. So, I have been led into the wilderness, and I have been tested a few times, many times. So this morning, I will tell you about one time, okay? One time that revealed a desire that I have probably had since I was tiny, and that I know now I will have until the day I die. Uh, let me see. Lost my place here. Okay. Several years ago, I started becoming more and more involved in church. Everything. It felt good because it felt holy and it felt sacred. What else could be better than giving up my time to serve God, to serve others, right? Slowly but surely, I signed up for multiple things, connect groups, women's groups, book clubs, mentoring, the prophetic, all good things. But as it turns out, for the wrong reasons. Now, I believe motivations are kind of tricky because they're not always 100% pure. So there was the real motivation of serving, but alongside of it was this desire to fill a void in me. And the Holy Spirit led me to search my heart and ask him about the desire underneath everything. And I did, with humility and a trembling heart. Trembling because it felt like being put in, this, in front of this big, magnifying glass, naked. And that's never going to happen. And the answer came from this sentence I had read in a book. And never blank enough. And the Holy Spirit wanted to reveal to me the missing word in this sentence as it pertained to my life. He told me that, he, that this word had been a driving force in a lot of what I was doing, and that I, it would continue to be unless I surrender it to Him, and I let, let it drive me to Him, right? So, talk about vulnerability here. <laughs> the world, the word that he revealed to me was loved. Never loved enough. So, I repented for looking for love in so many places, for doing so much to feel loved and affirmed, instead of fully trusting him to feel my need. And I became aware of the problem and I try to change. But the rush that comes with the feeling of being loved and affirmed by people around you is a very desirable fruit. And as it turns out, very easy to grab. So I continue to be busy to build relationships in order to fill that void. Now I was trying not to because I was aware of my problem, but it almost felt like just being aware was good enough. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is gentle, but He's relentless, and He wanted my full heart. Around this time, I had some things happen to me that caused tremendous, tremendous pain and brokenness, things that left me emotionally drained and very devastated. Through prayer and fasting, it became clear that to recover from those things, I was going to have to drop the things I had been doing. The Holy Spirit slowly started to name each thing that I needed to leave behind. Now, I didn't want to give up the things because they were feeding me. They were feeding this deep internal desire and they were satisfying me, at least for the moment. But I really didn't have much choice at the time. I needed to do it in order to recover from what had happened to me. And in the midst of the pain, I started obeying, dropping the things he was asking me to drop. And here is where the feeling of hunger increased. It was like the end of a 40-day fast because I didn't have the things to feed me anymore. And it was here that I started eating from his hand alone. The need was very real, but I was turning to him and to him only to feel that need. And again, I want to be honest with you. Saying no to the things that seemed so satisfying was very hard. Turning to him and him only for my daily bread, trusting that he could satisfy my need to be loved through the things that he was providing was hard, and it didn't always feel satisfying. But this is what I have learned. Trusting God is a discipline that can be built like a muscle. It doesn't come in the form of like magic powder sprinkled over your head, right? It would be nice. It comes in choosing daily, sometimes hourly, to depend on what he has provided for us. It comes in daily, very small choices, like going to bed early so that I could get up at 5 in the morning to spend time with him. It comes in choosing to go to him when all I wanted or all I want is to call a friend or sign up for another group to fill the void. And it comes when I don't think my life is satisfying, yet I choose to trust that what he has given me is more than enough for my needs and he comes in choosing to thank Him daily for giving me my daily bread, my kids, my husband, my job. Choosing to trust that He knows better and that the little ordinary things that He has planned for my life during the day are really all that I need. So as I finish today, I want to leave you with one of the many stories of how God has responded in tangible ways to my cry for love. Now, I'm a teacher, high school teacher, and it was the week before break, Christmas break, all right? It was Monday, and I was already very, very tired. I had some hard things going on in my personal life, and on top of that, I had had some conflicts with some students that morning. And I hate conflicts because they leave me feeling unloved and rejected. And I remember that night going to bed with tears rolling down my eyes and saying to Jesus, Jesus, I just feel unloved, I am breaking inside, I am tired, and I don't really know if I truly matter, if what I do really does matter. And Lord, I know in my head that I do I know that you love me and that I do matter. But right now, I feel like I just really need the affirmation of a real person. I really, Lord, I would really, really love a hug from a real person. And Lord, I know I can produce this on my own, with my own ability. I know I can text people and ask for this, but I want to go to you. Would you please fill this void? So next morning, I go to work, I'm still weary and doubting myself, and I'm there at my desk, prepping for the day, and someone knocks at the door. It's a student, it's a senior that has never been my student, actually. Uh, She comes in and says, Mrs. Finley, I feel like I need to say something to you today. So I say, come in, of course. And then she says this, I want you to know that you are very loved by the students here in the school. You are very important, and I want to specially thank you for everything that you're doing here. And then she started crying. And with tears in her eyes, rolling down her face, she says this, Mrs. Finley, could I please give you a hug? And she did. She gave me a big, long, strong hand, and then she left. And I just sat down there at my desk again, and I started crying, crying at the goodness of God and crying at his faithfulness. So I'll pray for you right now. I don't, I'm out of time. But it'll only take a minute. Uh, and as I, I really feel like I need to pray for this, As I pray for you, I want you to have this sentence in your mind. The next slide. Oh, the previous one, I guess. Never blank enough. And I want you to, as I pray, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there is a desire underneath some of the actions and the things that you have been doing. And just wait on him and see if he has something to say about that. Are there things that he uh, wants you to know and that he wants you to just go to him for? Right? Are you trespassing in that way? I also want you to think about whether or not you have become the tester of God at some points with things like this. Now I'm going to use a prayer That has become a lifeline for me. I pray it pretty much daily. And it comes from the book of common prayer. Okay. Uh, And I have it right up there. But I'll just pray over you. Just like I do over myself. Pretty much every day. And I just ask you to. Just ask the Holy Spirit. For that blank word for you. Almighty God. You are powerful and you love us. And only you can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of our hearts. Just like you brought order to the chaos in the beginning of creation, bring today order in the chaos inside our hearts, in the chaos of our affections and our wills. May our love for you always be the first thing. May we always fix our eyes on you and your desires. I pray that you would grant us grace to love what you command and to desire what you promise, to believe that it's in you that we can have life, and that it's true that only you can bring life. I pray that in the midst of the changes of the world, in the midst of the political stuff going on, in the midst of the sicknesses going around and the pandemic, our hearts would always, always be focused and fixed where true joys can be found, which is you, you and you only. I pray this in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.